Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, this morning I want to share a message that I've simply entitled, A Community with a Cause. Everyone say, Cause. A Community with a Cause. On Vision Sunday of 2017, that's this year, I shared a message and I shared from this portion of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25, and it says, But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. That's a great, strong Male name, Ben and Jess. <laughs> Epaphroditus Morris. I think the Lord is speaking right now. Epaphroditus Morris. It's got a ring to it, doesn't it? I think it necessary to send you back Epaphroditus. And he says this, My brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also a messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. This young man, Epaphroditus, was sent to Paul to be of an aid or a help to him. Unfortunately, the young man got sick and the people were so concerned about this young man's health and well-being, Paul felt it necessary to send him back. But when he sent him back, he said, I want you to take good care of him. And he says three things about this young man. And I love them. He says that he's your brother, he's a co-worker, and he's a fellow soldier. A brother, co-worker and fellow soldier. And the reason Paul calls him these three things is because these three things represent different natures of the church, all of which are important. Paul calls Epaphroditus a brother. Why? Because the church is a family. It's a community of people, a community of called out ones, a community of believers. And so he calls him a brother and rightfully so. I thank God that the church is a family. I thank God that the church is a community of people that uh, God has placed me and you in, that we do not have to do life alone, that He places the lonely in families. Amen. Amen. It's an incredible element of the church of which I am extremely grateful And then he says of Epaphroditus, he is my fellow worker. Why does he call him a fellow worker? Because the church is not only a family, but it's also an organisation. Every family needs organising. Your natural family needs organising. And the bigger the family, the more organisation that is needed. And so Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow worker, a co-worker. And then he goes on to call him a soldier, The reason he calls him a soldier is because the church is not only a family, it's not only an organisation, but it's also an army. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ is a community of people that has a corporate side and has a cause to fulfil. All three elements are equally important when it comes to the church. And unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of just picking one or the other. When you say yes to the church, you say yes to the family, you say yes to the organisation, and you're saying yes to the cause. Can I hear an amen this morning? And our cause here at Victory Church is quite simple. It is to connect people to God, to His church, and to their purpose. Take a look at it. To connect people to God, to His church, and to their purpose. Doesn't it look amazing? 
I, I want to tell you, that was a lot easier to write than it is to live. Having those few words up there is easier to look at than to live them out. And the reason is because there's a difference between values and culture. There's a massive difference between our values and our culture. One has to do with what we believe and the other has to do with how we behave. Our values are based upon what we believe, but our culture is based on how we behave. And just because you believe something, it doesn't mean that you are living it. Values are what you believe, but culture is what you do. In other words, values are easy to choose, but all the work starts when you try and make those values the behaviour. And living that out has been a lot harder for me personally than actually when I first wrote it. And as a church, it's been a lot easier for us to agree to it and speak it out aloud than it has been to live it. I'm sure you would agree with that, yeah? But here's the thing I want to draw your attention to. When our values are not our culture, we fall into the trap of thinking that we are doing something when we are not. In other words, when we feel that we know something and that we own it enough, we kid ourselves or we're in temptation of kidding ourselves that we're actually doing it. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. This is a story of the young man David before he became king of Israel. He was looking after his father's sheep and his father said, I want you to go to the battlefield and see how your brothers are doing and take them some food and to just feed back to me and let me know how things are going. And so David, in obedience to his father, gets somebody to look after his sheep and then goes off with the food to his brothers. And it says here in verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to see the battle. When I read that, I have to stop and ask myself this one question. What battle? You see, for 40 days, they had been terrified to the point of paralysis. They had done nothing for 40 days because they'd been intimidated by a nine foot giant by the name of Goliath. He would come out every day and say, give me a man. Why should we lose all these great men? How about you give me your best? We'll give you our best. And whoever wins, wins the battle. And for 40 days, this went on and the Israelites were paralysed with fear. In other words, there was no battle taking place. But here's the interesting thing. Eliab was dressed for battle. In the community of people called the Israelites, there was a lot of talk about battle. And they were in the place of battle. This community had been placed in the place of battle they were dressed for battle. They were talking about battle. There was just one problem. There was no battle taking place. They were kidding themselves. And I have to ask myself this question. Is it possible that we as a community of people could possibly gather together and talk about 
the cause of Christ and talk about doing great exploits for God and talk about doing these mighty things and yet not do anything? Is it possible that we can have a value of evangelism but not be evangelising? Is that possible? I mean, we can soon ask ourselves this question, do we believe in evangelism? I'm sure most of us in this room would say, yes, I agree with it. In actual fact, I think if you would ask Eliab whether he believed in battle, he would say, are you kidding me? Look at me, of course I believe in battle. I'm dressed for battle. I'm ready for battle. But there was just one problem. He still wasn't battling. He wasn't doing anything. And what we see them doing is getting in their holy huddle, afraid and paralysed and not doing anything. And a result of their inactivity, there was infighting in the community. It's an amazing thing to me that anger, accusation and assumption took place in the community when they were not on mission and had not embraced the cause. Eliab's older brother became angry with David. I mean, David was there to help. And I have to ask myself, why is Eliab so angry with David? Is it because he's just bored? Does some of the arguments that start amongst us as a community of people happen just because we're bored? Is it because he was afraid and he projected his fear onto David? Is it possible that as a community of people that we start infighting and we start getting angry with one another because we're either bored or afraid? I'm just here to put the thought out there today. But David's brother had anger issues and there was infighting in the community as a result. Not only was there anger, but there was accusation. Eliab accused David of being conceited and having a wicked heart. I mean, the guy was coming to help. He actually came with some food and he's saying, you're wicked, you're conceited. I mean, oh my goodness me. Have you ever in the community of believers tried to help someone and they just attack you? There's nothing new here. It's going on then, it goes on now. And then there's this assumption. Eliab assumed that his values lined up with his culture. He assumed that because he was dressed for battle and because he believed in battle, that he was actually battling. And if that took place all those years ago, I just want to put a thought out there. Is it possible that we, the community of believers, can have a value that isn't necessarily a culture? David changed the culture that day because he took on the giant He ran down into that valley. He got his sling out, knocked the giant over, cut his head off. And when he cut the giant's head off and held the head up for all the Israelites to see, it put confidence in them and courage in them. And they ran after the enemy. And a great battle was won that day. If we're going to turn our vision, or sorry, our values into culture, it's going to happen when we embrace the battle. When we embrace the fight, when our kids were much younger, I know I've shared this story a number of times before, but bear with me because it bears repeating. 
when our kids were much younger and there were certain behavioural displays that we didn't like in their lives, we decided to write up what we called the Rainbow Family Commandments. And these Rainbow Family Commandments looked amazing. My design background came to the fore and I made these incredible commandments and we put them on the fridge. There was 10 of them, 10 rainbow family commandments. The values of what we wanted in our kids, the values were on our fridge. That was real easy. Putting the values on the fridge was real easy. But getting the culture in our home, that took a little bit of a battle. I've got to be honest with you. It was not easy getting the culture in our home. It was a lot easier getting the values on the fridge. Thou shalt not stomp thy feet was commandment number one. Because stomping your feet is nothing more than sulking. And this is what I've learned. It's not only kids that sulk, adults sulk. And I did not want my kids to have that trait when they were much older because I've seen it in adults and it's not very becoming. And so when one of our kids would stomp their feet, I'd walk them to the fridge, I'd get them to repeat what we don't do in this house. We're rainbows, we don't do this. We don't stomp thy feet. And I get the kids to repeat what they were not meant to be doing. And I said, you're a rainbow, we don't sulk. We don't stomp our feet. Another one was, thou shalt look an adult in their eye when they are talking to you. I didn't want our kids to be those rude kids that won't even engage an adult, won't even look at them. And so I said, no, 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 look. What is commandment number two? Thou shalt look an adult in the eye. But I've got to be honest with you. When we were midway through this, I'm thinking, why did I put so many commandments? Why couldn't I have just stuck with one commandment? This is hard work. I mean, it was, it was hard work. I felt like giving up. I felt like changing it to, you know, five rainbow commandments. <laughs> and on a really bad day, it's kind of like, just, if we could just get one of the 10, that would be really good. Like a tie, the 10th, that would be awesome just to get one of them. I thank God that we managed to hold our line. Thou shalt use thy manners. That was a big one. And we didn't have magic words. We had God words. Use your God words, please, and thank you. Please and thank you. If someone took something and they didn't say thank you, I'd walk them over the fridge. What's number three? Thou shalt use thy manners. Brackets, God words. Because we don't have magic words, we have God words. What are they? Please and thank you. Please and thank you. That was a big one. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. I'm repeating myself because that's what you've got to do to get culture in the home. You don't just say it once and a pretty little design doesn't get culture in the home. Nice little mission statements on the screen doesn't do it. It needs repeating. It needs massaging in. Please don't ask yourself, have you heard this before? Ask yourself, am I living in it? Because as a church, we all drift. As individuals, we all drift. And we need to hold our line. And I've got to be honest with you, when it came to getting the culture in our home with our kids, it was hard because we were trying to bring these little lives into something bigger. And they didn't want bigger, they just wanted Lego. They didn't want bigger, they just wanted television. And I said, no, no, I want something bigger and better for you. 
And these manners, they're going to serve you well if you get this right. Just watching television or playing Lego is not going to serve you well for the rest of your life. You've got to get these big building blocks in your life. I was thinking of something far bigger. And when they were thinking of something very, very small, it was tough. Do you know the thing that kept me going? Was the love that I had for my kids. That's what kept me doing it. Because I loved them. I loved them as they were, but I loved them too much to leave them as they were. That's what kept me going, was the love that I had for our kids. But do you know what made it hard? Was the same thing. It was the love that I had for my kids. The thing that kept me going was the love that I had for my kids. The thing that made it really hard and what wanted to make me give up was the love that I had for my kids. Because I just loved them. They're so cute. And you walk them over to your fridge and they're just doing something funny and you're like, don't laugh. (laughs) And by the time you walk into the fridge and they've done all these cute little things, you just think, ah, come here, I love you. Parents, am I talking to the right people? It's not easy. Much easier to get values on the fridge, but getting culture in the home, when you love these little ones, it's it's the love that kept me going. I love them as they are, but I love them too much to leave them as they are. So we're going to win this battle. You will use your manners. You will use your God words. You will say please. You will say thank you. And you will be appreciative. That's what kept me going, my love for them. But the thing that got in the way was my love for them. Oh, and I've got to be honest with you, there were times we walked to the fridge and I just, oh, you little rascal, just like, and I caved. I thank God that overall we won those battles. I thank God for that. But I don't stand up here as the expert. I want to be as real as I possibly can. It was hard work. And what made it harder than anything else was how much I loved them. If you didn't like someone, that's easy to say, do something. But when you love people, when you truly love someone and you're trying to give them something better than they're presently experiencing, there's a lot of room for a lot of misunderstanding. And that's where the battle is. Is this making sense today? See, quite often, the biggest battle we face as the community of people is between the community of people and the cause of Christ. See, Paul said that Epaphras was a brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, all three. But one of the biggest hindrances to the cause of Christ is the community of believers. Because as a group of people, we're happy to embrace the community element of church. But when we don't embrace the cause of the church, it damages the community. And we put an expectation on the community that the community alone can never fulfil. See, it's in the community that we experience a comfort and that's awesome, but that comfort can become the problem. We look at this service this morning and think, man, what more could you want? Well, we want this replicated many more times because there's many more people that don't know Christ. And for us to say, what's it matter? It shows our heart and where we're at. Surely we would want to see this happen more and more and more and more. If our values were what we really believed. Is this making sense? 
And so we have this dilemma because it's the community, the blessing of God that can get in the way of the cause and the purpose of the church. But it's not just the comfort that comes from the community of believers. The community of believers is also where we get very upset and hurt and offended because wherever there are people, hurt happens. And so the church is people. So where there are people, we get comforted, but where there are people, we also get hurt and offended. And so sometimes it's the offence of the community of believers that stops us embracing the cause of Christ. Whether it's the comfort of the believers or whether it's the offence of the believers, it stops us being on mission. We can grow tired of serving the church. You may have been serving the church for a number of years and you may have noticed others that don't and you're just now tired of serving people that won't get involved. And so we want to be ones who just sit back now and do nothing. Can you see how we're becoming like Eliab? When we're no longer embracing cause, we just start infighting. We just start speculating. We just start assuming. Anger gets the better of us. And whether it's comfort, I just like it as it is, or whether it's I don't like that person, all these things hinder the cause of Christ moving forward. In church life, you're going to see the good, the bad and the ugly. And that's why God has coupled community to a cause. Because if community was the goal, we wouldn't be having all the problems that we have. If community alone was the goal, but we know it's not. We've been left here on planet Earth for a purpose. And so we have an obligation to that. Without a cause, we get comfortable. We settle down or we just give up. There are a lot of people out there that have some church. And there are those that do not have any church. And then there are some that are done with church. So you have the sums, the nuns and the duns when it comes to church. And all of those are responses of the cause being forgotten because our eyes have been on the community. If your eye is on the community and not Christ, the community will always let you down. We have to have a bigger vision. When I looked at my kids and I was trying to get those uh, values into their lives, I've got to be honest with you, if I didn't keep the picture big, I was drawn back to the cuteness of their little lives. We have to keep a big picture perspective. We are a community with a cause. And if you don't embrace the cause of Christ, we ultimately weaken the community of people. I wonder if you turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verses 1 to 8 is a very important passage of Scripture. Up until Acts chapter 8, there's been some incredible things taking place. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus Christ appearing before the disciples and ascending into the heavens. Amazing moment in time. 
In Acts chapter 2, Peter on the day of Pentecost preaches and 3,000 people are added to the church. An incredible moment in the life of the church in Jerusalem. Amazing. In Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John walking into the temple and they see a, ma- a, a crippled man at Gate Beautiful and there they are able to see this man raised up and he goes leaping and jumping and praising God all the way to the temple. He'd never be able to do that before. Amazing. We see in Acts chapter 4, again, the church continues to grow exponentially. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie and they die. There's great fear that comes on the community of believers, yet the church continues to grow. This is all good stuff, but everything that we read about in those first five verses is all happening in Jerusalem. And the word from Jesus, the Great Commission, was never just about Jerusalem. It was going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Be my disciples in all the earth, yeah? yeah? But here they were being enamoured with what was taking place in their locality. And Acts chapter 6, there's a shift. There's a shift. A young man by the name of Stephen gets arrested. In Acts chapter 7, he does this incredible discourse and challenges and defies the religious leaders. And this young man, who stood up with great boldness, confidence and authority, was put to death. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them into prison. Those whom had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. There was great rejoicing in that city. It never ceases to amaze me that God has a plan and nothing is going to get in the way of his plan. Not the comfort of believers and not the success in a certain locality of believers. His plans will come to pass and he will use whatever means possible in order to get the believers back on mission again. This was a tragic day in the life of the church. And yet at the same time, it was a day that woke the church up. This church experienced a tragic loss of a family member. This young upcoming disciple named Stephen was stoned, put to death. I mean, what a horrible way to die. And people had to witness that. And the only thing he was guilty of is speaking the truth about Christ. Amazing thought. And then as a result, Saul, seeing that this pleased certain people, put the church under great persecution. There was deep mourning and even loved ones 
were dragged off to prison. Can you imagine if that started happening to this community? That's what was taking place here. But this is the bit I want you to get. If it's just about community, then there's a lot of questions. If it's just about our comfort, there's a lot of questions about this text. But then it goes on to say that those who'd been scattered, they preached the Word everywhere that they went. I love that. That they didn't sit around in a pity party, but they got back on mission. Because if we don't embrace the cause of Christ, the community of believers will never be strong enough to hold us. You'll never get enough comfort. You'll never get enough meals. You'll never get enough coffees. You'll never get enough because eventually that will stop. And when it stops, you'll feel a lack. You'll feel a void. We have been left here on planet Earth for a purpose. If it's just about our comfort, you're sadly mistaken. If it's just about the worship experience, I want to tell you, if it's, we have been left here on planet Earth to experience worship, then we can have better worship in heaven. I'm sure you would agree. No offence, Elise and the team. But we've been left here for a purpose and that's the cause of Christ to help people who need helping in this particular area. And here's the result. There were signs and wonders. There was great freedom from oppression. And there was great joy brought to many cities. Wouldn't it be wonderful of all the great things that are happening here in church for this to be replicated in other cities, in other communities, where there's great joy because of our work, because of our co-laboring with Christ, because of our picking up the cause of Christ. It's an amazing thing to me. I think there are certain things happening in our world today in order to get our attention and remind us again what matters most. As a church, we have a number of core values. And I want to just quickly go through them. And then Andre is going to come up in just a little while and he's going to share some of the uh, things that have happened in the last 12 months and where some of the finances have gone for our Heart for the House 2016. But before we get into that, let me just go through our six core values one more time. Value number one, evangelism. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ because we believe that to reach people no one else is reaching, you need to do things that no one else is doing. I know as believers, we have a value of evangelism. You would be a very brave slash silly believer to say, I don't believe in evangelism. We all say we believe in evangelism because we know we have to say we believe in it. The question is, is it our culture? Yeah. And the way we answer that is, when's the last time I evangelised? When's the last time I shared my faith? And here at this church, we make it real easy for everybody because every week there are people who come that are far from God and we have an opportunity to meet with them. And so when's the last time we took advantage of that opportunity? Food for thought. Number two, faith. We will think big, risk it all, and we will not insult God with small thinking and safe living because we believe that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Again, do you believe in faith? Well, we have to, we're Christians, but when's the last time we made a faith-based decision? 
that took us outside of our comfort zone. Number three, serving. We will be spiritual consumers rather than spiritual uh, sorry, we will be spiritual contributors rather than spiritual consumers because we believe the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for others. In my heart of hearts from day one, I didn't want our church to be like so many other expressions in the body of Christ where I saw firsthand the faithful few upholding the lazy lot. No, I wanted to turn that around and I believe that we should have our hands up being willing to serve in some capacity. Yes, outside the church, absolutely, but also inside the church. And so if you're not on roster, hey, no condemnation, but why not just change that by understanding our heart because we see this as a value and it's not just a value. We want it to be a culture in the house. Number four, generosity. We will lead the way with irrational generosity because we believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. We're going to have an opportunity in a couple of weeks' time to be able to put this one to the test. Generosity. Number five, excellence. We will give our best at all times in all things because we believe if a job is worth doing, it's worth doing well. This is a value that was drummed into me as a kid growing up. My dad would say, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. If a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. If I ever did anything half-hearted, my dad would say, hey, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And so when you walked in today, there were chairs set out, but they weren't just set out any old way. They were set out in a straight line. Because straight chairs say something and crooked chairs say something. Crooked chairs put anywhere says we don't care. But when you have chairs that are all now neat and straight, it says we care. We've been thinking about you. We want your experience here at Victory Church to be the best it can possibly be. When you walk into this building and the heating or the cooling is just right, that says we care because if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Excellence is a value of ours. And number five, uh, number six, sorry, empowerment. We don't recruit volunteers. We release leaders because volunteers do good things, but leaders change the world. And I believe I am looking at leaders. Every one of you is a leader. The lowest capacity leader here is leading their own life. And that's important. You are a leader of one. If for no other person, you are leading your own life. And leaders change the world. One young boy, 17 years of age, was able to lead the charge to that Goliath or that giant called Goliath. And he changed the culture that day. We don't raise volunteers, we raise leaders because leaders change the world. Amen. People don't flourish because of what you believe, but how we behave. There is a lost, hurting world and they're looking to see something different. They're looking to see someone that cares and hopes and has dreams and aspirations for them. I thank God, and these messages are never easy for me to share because I'm so grateful for this church. I love this church with all of my heart. And just like when I was trying to get some values into our kids when they were younger, the toughest thing about a message like this is the fact that I love you so much. And yet the thing that drives me and motivates me is because I love you so much. And I love this community God has placed us in. Love this city God has placed us in. Amen. Will you stand with me? Thank you for taking the time to listen. 
If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.